Captain's log, stardate 230814. We've encountered a mysterious recording entitled CMO Combo. Analysis shows it's packed full of insights necessary for CMOs and marketing leaders. I'm putting together an elite team to investigate further. And that investigation shows that this episode of CMO Combo is all about the human side of AI with Jason Hemingway, CMO Phrase. We're discussing two sides of this topic. Firstly, why human oversight will remain an absolute necessity for the foreseeable future. And secondly, how to utilize AI to actually build closer, more human connections with your customers. Whether you're a robo-skeptic, already all aboard the AI train, or anywhere in between, listen on to find out more. You might call us biased here on CMO Convo, but we know that with the right skills and mindsets, marketers are essential to an effective C-suite. Marketers like you. That's why we want to make sure the Alliance's C-suite masterclass is on your radar. Whether you're looking to climb the ladder or currently an experienced marketing leader, you'll find everything you need to navigate the modern C-suite. Across four months, you'll learn from experienced executives from leading brands like Trustpilot, Slack, Samsung, and more on how to drive results, inspire teams, and secure your place at the table. Ready to show the world what you can do as a C-suite marketer? Check the link in the show notes for more information. Hi, Jason. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? I'm very good. Thanks, Will. Yeah, nice to, nice to see you. It's nice to have uh, another British accent on the, the podcast <laughs> once. I, I talk to so many American CMOs, it seems like I'm leaving out the entire contingency of my homeland. So it's it's nice to have to have a fellow Brit on the call for once. Thanks very much. It's very nice to represent the, the British CMO contingent. Um, it is unusual, though. I get it, uh, especially in sort of technology, uh, which is sort of my kind of area. The, 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 the CMOs tend to be larger technology businesses um, in North America a lot of the time, or has been in my experience. Definitely, definitely. But I think that's changing, especially with some of the news that came out today. Like as of time of recording, um, OpenAI has just announced they're opening a, a London office, which uh, is a nice little segue into what we're talking about today, which is the human element of AI. And I'm very excited to have that conversation with you, Jason. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. And I do think, yeah, I mean, as I was speaking and saying, it tended to be a lot of US CMOs in tech. I think as you know, get more and more technology businesses, you know, springing up with, you know, all the different things that AI can do these days, you do tend to get more of a European face. It's more global, actually. <laughs> think there is a very good uh, solid British technology scene as well as a kind of European tech scene as well. Definitely. I think like the kind of hierarchy of geography in terms of tech companies and even access to tech is changing. It has become a much more global market, which is really yeah. great to see. Yeah, it's very nice. Very good. Um, so Jason, we are talking about AI today, but before we do start digging into why the robots are going to rule us all in the future, um, maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience, tell us a bit about your background and why this topic is so important for us to be talking about today. Yeah. So, well, my name's Jason Hemingway. I am CMO at Phrase, and Phrase are a localization technology business, which we'll talk probably a bit about later on. But um, I've been uh, in B2B marketing for over 20 years, and I've seen, you know, a significant change, I guess, in, in technology over the years. It's accelerated in the last few months, or at least the noise around it's accelerated in the last few months. But I think um, technology over, you know, the 20 odd years that I've been in marketing has, has really come to the fore, almost to the detriment of marketing as a discipline in terms of its training. And I think you know, my background is all about marketing, not necessarily technology. But as a CMO now, you have to have an eye on the technology. And that's the sort of thing I, I'll talk about later. When I think of AI, I don't just think of it 
it's, it's a tool in many cases, but a lot of the stuff in marketing is all about the people behind it, the ideas, the thinking, and there's a certain amount that the tool can do. But anyway, look, I'm getting off the subject of my professional background. You know, I started uh, marketing for Dow Jones, which was a, a massive news organization. Um, albeit doing a bit more algorithmic trading even back then. Um, and then I've kind of moved into B2B SaaS, where I've been for God knows how many years, 15 years, um, when it was called on demand, I think, when I started. And, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, thanks. I don't want to show my age too much. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Um, but that, that probably gives you a good perspective on like how new technologies can potentially impact like marketing the marketing industry like ai is just the latest in a long run of technology that's been introduced in the last 10 20 years that's changed things are we potentially maybe overreacting about some of the responses to ai both in terms of like the positive capabilities but also the potential like negatives that could come with it as well uh yeah i think uh, i mean all of the above i think it's a bit it feels a bit wild westy at the moment doesn't it and i think you know when you look at technology hype cycles and things like that you see lots of noise in the early stages and i think when you think about technology you've got to think about three probable things you've got people process and the tech and you've got to get all of those sort of things right and you've got to make sure the technology that you're thinking about is based around meaningful use cases for your business, right? Because otherwise, what's the point in having the technology? And I think at the moment, people are sort of trying to figure out, well, what are the decent use cases that will add meaningful business value to the technology we have in the marketing sense is how am I going to do my marketing job better? And I'm not necessarily so fearful of it taking our jobs. I'm more about how do we harness it how do you leverage it so you don't get left behind by any degree of kind of movement and and not necessarily that it's going to eat into your sort of job it's like how do i harness it so i don't get left behind that's the big threat and then look in the future you know looking way into the future is yeah well what's it going to do to you know the industry i think that's really hard to see and i think there are some you know with generative ai and things like that there's some pitfalls that you still need to think about there's all these things about prompt drift and you know you still need people to look over those kind of things the probabilistic nature of llms is you know they give you different answers on different days or as the model changes or is refined and that means that those models whilst they go into production you need to have people looking at it to make sure it's optimal, to make sure it's not making any errors or the, what was the thing that you, the phrase they used to lose? Hallucinating. That's one of the, you know, is it hallucinating answers, basically lying, but you know, that's one of the, the problems. And also then you've got your intellectual property. How do you keep that kind of within your business when all of these things can jump into it or people are putting your business value into, into chat GPT or whatever else it might be uh, that is just, you know, where is all that data going and, and how are you keeping your copyrights and your, your IP? So I think there's pitfalls on, on both of those. And I think we're in that sort of really early stage where everyone's trying to figure this out uh, from a marketing sense and particularly in B2B tech. I think people are jumping on the bandwagon because there is lots of noise. And I think you have to have a viewpoint on it and how it's going to affect your industry. And we'll talk a bit about how I think it'll affect mine. But in B2B tech, I think there's, I mean, hugely productivity gains is massive there's creative gains that you can have there's um, data gains that you can get because you've got a, a way of processing this is more um, ai than it is generative ai but a way of processing data at scale and segmenting it and then pumping out results to you that you've never really had access to before and that's the thing that's all accelerating and i think 
I'm not so worried as I am sort of, yeah, this will be good. This is good. All these step changes. But I think you've got to really make sure your feet are firmly planted on the ground with what is the business value. Don't be distracted by the noise. That's a big thing to work through with teams. Um, so it's, it's, it is a bit wild west for me, but I think it's in a good trajectory. And it will normalize as all of these things do as people get used to it. And you'll get lots of businesses cropping up. You'll get lots of businesses folding these things into their, their products. But I think um, at the moment, it's a bit like, whoa, this has happened quick. So it feels very like, wow, what's going on? What's, what's, what's it, what's it going to do to us? And it's like, well, you know, I don't think it's going to be too bad personally. I think it's good. It's a good, good development. Yeah, I have to say, I've honestly come around quite a lot on AI as I've gotten more familiar with the tools, particularly generative AI. Like at the start of the year, being a content marketer, I was seeing all these use cases and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, my days are numbered. But now that I've actually started using the tools myself and gotten familiar with its capabilities and its limitations as well, like I'm, I'm, I'm much less fearful. I'm thinking, seeing it more as a supporter for my own work than yeah. as a replacement. Well, if you look at that people process technology thing that I was looking at, the interesting thing about it as it gets more complicated. So you've got the technology and what it does and can it do things quickly and can it do it at scale? That's the big thing. AI it gives you a scale. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the people. Well, what can it replace of the people's element? At the moment, I think it can replace some of it, but it's not very authentic. You know, you'll have to. I mean, the whole thing we look at is this human in the loop. You need people to either monitor what's coming out or actually revise what it's produced because it's not quite right. It doesn't feel quite right, it? especially in, you know, content creation. Mm -hmm. Is it actually right? Even in creative, you know, is it pumping something out? Somebody, you know, creative is still a sort of viewpoint from a business. What, what is that? Does that hit our brand value? Is that what we want to, to put out there? So you still need that human in the loop. And then the process side is interesting because you can actually write process, particularly on software development, and also give you an idea like for a blog post, it can give you a structure. Mm -hmm. So the process, so all of that technology people process, it's eating into bits of those. But I don't think like you, I, I think at the beginning, everybody was a bit like, oh, blimey, what's going to happen to any copywriter? You can just do this. But pumping out non-quality content, you know, that might be good for things like SEO. I could see some, you know, volume play on some of these. But at the end of the day, what are people looking for? They're looking for, can your business add value to what I'm doing? How does it add value? What is it, what is it that you do? And can you tell that in a sort of authentic way that resonates with me as a buyer? If you're just pumping out loads of noise and content, it's not really giving that value area. So I think there is always that human element. I'm talking particularly about content because you mentioned it. But I think... You've got to look at it all like that. It's like whatever it's pumping out or however much you can do with something, it's the human is always there at the moment. And I say at the moment because I'm long range. Let's, let, yeah. you know, let's see what happens. But right now it's like, well, it needs some oversight in many ways. So because we're in kind of like a wild west zone at the moment, do you think many companies have that kind of structure to have human oversight or are they, are they just kind of like, approaching ai a bit willy-nilly just trying to throw things at the wall and see what sticks well, i think there, there is a bit of you know there's there's all the r d that product teams can do so i'm not talking necessarily about marketing but we'll talk about that in a minute let's think about think about it from a product technology point of view so if you think you can build models you can train models in ai um but in the field of machine learning and they can do things. The, the problem with that is, are they correct? Who's got that oversight? Who's retraining it when you've got new information? And it does it itself over time, but you need people still looking at that. And I think 
the more enterprise businesses or the larger businesses definitely have those those things and you're seeing a growth of what they call ml ops definitely seeing that i was reading something from gartner i wrote it down earlier because uh it said, it said something like 80 percent of ml and ai projects fail to move into production right wow they are not, you know, built for real meaningful business value that that, that that you can use operationally. So that's why MLF Ops is in there. I think when you look at content, you know, there is still a place for people, completely a place for people to be reviewing things and looking at it. And there is still that human judgment right now that you need to be sort of looking at it and eyeballing it and just making sure you feel comfortable. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I've pu- published anything that's been generated by ChatGPT without giving it a significant read. Well, yeah, that's the point, isn't it? You have to do a bit of that. Now, that is in where we think as a business is like high stakes content. So content like marketing content is high stakes. But let's say in another world where you are, let's let's think about localization for a minute, if you can. But let's say you've got high stakes content and you've got for want of a better way of describing it, low stakes content. And what do I mean by that? Well, okay, a service interaction, you call a call center and that person doesn't necessarily need a perfectly grammatically correct translation of what you're talking about, or even if you've sent an email in, but they need to know kind of broadly what you're saying the issue is that you're having with that business. You know, it could be that the pro- you want to know how to return the product or whatever it is. You don't need it grammatically. So low stakes. Now, in AI and ML, <clears throat> Or, or at least in localization, there's this machine translation idea of, you know, can you get a machine to do some of the translation that is not needing a human? And that would be the low stakes stuff. And can you route it to the right place? And can you estimate the quality of broadly, if it's 70% good quality, that's okay, let's send it through the machine for translation. And that sort of field that we're really looking at is how can you leverage ML to understand what types of content can be put through at scale? Can we estimate the quality? Can we use AI to estimate based on what we've got in our um, existing um, term library of all the translations that we've done? Can you look at that and say, well, that's going to be good enough quality to go through the machine? Can it, can it select the right engine to translate it? So there's all sorts of things that can be done from a machine translation point of view that I think are really interesting at the moment. That said, there's still your high stakes content that will always need you know, that human view, maybe the human um, role changes a bit. Like you said, it could be that you get the start from a machine and then the human reviews, you know, all of those kind of things. But to say that everything's going to go one way or the other is probably very um, erroneous because I I still think there'll be humans in the loop for certain things and then machines or or, or AI can do a lot of other, other stuff. Definitely, definitely. And I think in the the world of localization, um, I think it, should hopefully sort of even the playing field for people to go more global with their marketing and who how they're trying to reach their audiences and stuff it's a really interesting point is that you know especially in a world where the economic climate isn't amazing people are looking for you know quick ways to get into new markets to unlock opportunity in new markets how do you engage with your existing customer base that might be international better people talk a lot about personalization mm-hmm. and i always think well most of the time people particularly in tech talk about personalization from a 
UK or US centric point of view. Oh, let's personalize that in English. And I'm like, yeah, if you haven't thought about how you localize with that personalization, you're not really personalizing because number one, you haven't spoken the language the customer even speaks in. So how can you kind of even go there? But I think, you know, unlocking markets, unlocking your conversations with existing customers is, is, is huge building localization into your your um, personalization strategy or, or rather your experience that your customer has is, is massive and then um, in general I think building that layer the hub of how do we translate content where necessary across our business is huge because it doesn't have to be actually with external customers it could be internal comms because some big organizations might have people across the globe they all need commu uh, communicating with and have documentation that's in, you know, German, Japanese, you know, it could be any different language. How do you manage those kind of things internally? And ultimately, I think, you know, what, what the advances in AI can do is help you deliver more of that. So it unlocks, what's interesting about it is that in particularly in localization is AI and machine translation, all of those kind of things, ML, will unlock new use cases that we just hadn't thought about before which means there's more opportunity for business, which is really, I think, the real sort of, one of the applications of AI and ML for localization is I think the way that localization actually rises up the value chain in a business to people to say, yeah, we can actually do this. We can do it at scale. There's no barriers to doing it. It's not a slow and cumbersome process because one of the things with localization is always, oh, there's lots of different teams that manage these things in different places. There's a fragmented ecosystem of providers what you really need is to think about, well, how do we do that? How do we do it in our business? Do, can, we, can we get a suite or an integrated set of products that can do it quickly and easy at scale? And that's where I think technology has a huge part to play in that, in that market in particular. And more so ML and AI is just coming to the fore there. And I think you'll see loads of strides in that, that space over the course of the next year, year and a half. Definitely, definitely. I mean, Talking about like the human element of AI, we're not just talking about the human element in terms of using the AI. It's how AI can actually allow you to form stronger human connections with your audience. Yeah. Um, and when you mentioned internal comms, that didn't even occur to me, sort of like the power of that. You could diversify your hiring pool massively. Like you wouldn't necessarily have to have language requirements around a job or something like that, unless it was for a translation yeah, role or something like that. Things like training. Yeah, of course. How do you bring everybody up to a level? I don't know. How do you train a global marketing team at the moment? You know, if you you know, my marketing team's like twenty five people, and they are that you know this spread between lots of different places around the globe. We tend to always have our meetings in English, all of our documentations in English. But what if I could actually get some of those training, some of those materials to the German team, to the Japanese team, all in their language? You you know, some of the training for people is just an angle that internally, but it's not. You know, that's just me sort of. Uh, spitballing an idea for a use case that, that you can scale up. I think there's obviously loads of angles that you can take externally from a customer point of view. For example, you know, if you think about when customers interact with websites or they interact with your brand, there was a whole, one of the areas I worked on, you know, years ago was this idea of journey orchestration, which was every interaction you have with a brand should be tailored to the mm. customer's behavior, to their want and their need. Well, that's great. But again, most of that will be in English or, you know, whatever else. Well, imagine you could tailor every piece of content that a customer requires from you in their language at the time they need it based on the context of what they're interacting with you. It just blows the kind of 
possibilities of how you communicate and actually as you said is it how you build relationships with customers or at least in you know um transactions or you know when they they want to recommend you or things like that it's how you build local communication or how you communicate in their language into every single piece of interaction they have and i think that can only be a good thing for building connections with customers there's also like that's about building relationships but there's also like that service element mm -hmm. you know how can i quickly resolve your issue or get your job whatever your job is when you go and visit a website or you're on their mobile app what are you trying to do if i can surface information in your language quickly and easily to you so you get that job done the jobs to be done theory which i won't bore anyone with but what's the identify the job the customer's trying to do when they interact with you and serve them whatever content in their language as quickly as possible so they can get on with their day that service element is so so important get that right then think about all the other materials all the other things you can do to build an experience or help them have a good relationship with you but get the service layer right and that's a lot of content that you need to translate by the way um get that right and you've got um you've got a very good value proposition and a differentiator for you as a business and you can unlock those uh, markets quicker sell more things to customers sell new things to new customers in new markets Definitely, definitely. And I think it's going to become more and more important as just looking at how business is sort of developing over the last maybe, I don't want to estimate, maybe like 30 years. Like the idea of English as being just like the language of business, I think it's on the decline. Like we've got, of course, China, but I think like if you look at, I don't want to get too political, but Brexit has made English a lot less important in Europe. Like it's going to be German or it's going to be Spanish maybe or Italian. It's going to be leading the charge. Yeah. Well, so, I, yeah, I think it is. And it, it feels like things could be much more global if we just gave it a bit more thought. I think the other thing is that the technology's evolved now, and this is the interesting thing, the technology's evolved now whereby it's not beyond the realms of possibility that you can do these things at scale. And that's the big thing, it's the scaling of stuff um, that perhaps wasn't there before. If you think, go back all the way to sort of localization, you know, it's, it was pretty much done by linguists and, and and that was the process and then technology comes in to help manage those projects between linguists and the people they're translating things for and then you think there's a machine element and then you think there's the the bits that the linguists can use to manage their efficiency and their process so things just evolve and i think now doing it at a huge scale is, is not being beyond the realms of possibility for any brand so when it comes to sort of maintaining the human element in the production side of things when it comes to localization what are some of the factors that definitely need humans involved? I imagine idioms are still going to be a problem. Yeah, for... it's all, all of those kind yeah. of things, idioms, local, um, local cultural sensitivities, all of those things that, you know, linguists can just quickly, you know, they have it inherently at their grasp. Now, some of it, you know, if you build things in like um, uh, uh, translation memories, you can actually so some of the software components are you build in translation memory so you don't have to keep asking linguists the same question so once they've answered it in that local region you've got it stored so next time you have the same problem you know or the same sentiment that needs changing it's stored and it just does it automatically the key thing is to have somebody eyeballing it every you know every time um but yeah there's all sorts of little idioms and all of those kind of things that you point out that need to be factored in but with things like translation memories you can actually factor in those things very easily awesome awesome yeah so humans basically speeding up the process of a company getting to and the machine getting to understand what's actually going on so it's humans 
sort of assisting each other, assisting the AI and an AI assisting. Yeah, it's, it's that technology, people, process, all, all working in kind of unison, isn't it? Those three things. Um, I think what it will do is, be, as it grows in importance and becomes easier, it will show that the the value of localizing or putting things in people's, you know, home language is so much more important to a business where. Previously, I think they could have thought, oh, it's really hard and I'm not sure how we can do it or it's a fragmented thing or we spend a fortune on it, you know. Um, I think the strategic value of it will come to the fore and I think as it becomes easier, you'll see much more proliferation of it across lots of different businesses. And that's not to say, when I talk about it, enterprises are, are one angle, you know, big businesses, but that's not to say it shouldn't be accessible to mid-market and small businesses as well to do it, you know, as this, this becomes more ubiquitous. And depending on your um, the target market, if you're targeting small businesses they're less likely to have someone in that company who speaks english just and i don't want to be painting with a broad brush kind of thing yeah, but no, i get your point i get yeah. your point is they have less resource so they yeah. might not be able to cover as many languages or you know you might need to communicate them or it's better whatever way you look at it it's better to communicate that with them in their local language why wouldn't you if you were faced as a, as a buyer in germany with a business that just communicates you with with rudimentary German, let's say you've tried to translate it, but it's not very good, um, versus a business that has it really, you know, down to a T, can mostly communicate with you across all the different things that you might be doing in German, has German staff, you're like, yeah, I'd probably want to do business with them over the other one. So, you know, there's a there's like this differentiator element to all of it, is that if you get it right, you are standing above the competition massively. So it's almost AI being used as a tool to give yourself a more human face. Yeah, even. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. idea. Way it's of interesting at because it. you, yeah, you using AI to help you communicate um, in a more authentic and 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 one to one way with with your customer. And I think that's you know one of the challenges with personalization as you go back. And we used to say, and I was in personalization for a few years as well. Um, you you. Poor personalization is worse than no personalization, right? Mm. So it's the same trick, I think, with localization. Is if you do it badly, it's almost like, well, why did you bother doing that? Because that's not good. And, but when you get it right, and it's it's within within the realms of what's acceptable to a customer. Personalization is different because you could use all sorts of different weird things that you might feel uncomfortable a business knowing about you. You know, that, that's where personalization gets a bit creepy and all of that kind of stuff. But when it's just speaking your language and using idioms and things like that in the right way or changing your advertising online to actually make sense in a different language, um, that is, um, that's when it can really work to build those connections more closely with customers and actually engage with people. That's what you're really after as a business or a marketer. You want people to value the things that you put out and engage with them. And ultimately, if they're ready to, or they think you're the right business for a problem that you're trying to solve for them, then you want them to come to you. You want to be one of the, the brands they, that come to mind, the brand salience kind of idea. And I think if you don't do it in their kind of language, you're on a hard wicket to pardon the cricket pun, which is a British thing. I'm to... <laughs> I hope that translates across I the do, pond. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to think of a, a base. I'm not. I'm not okay with baseball terms. I was trying to think of a way of translating it. It makes it more difficult. Rather. We need. We need localization for the yeah, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, so, Jason. Yeah, it sounds like 
and I think most CMOs are on board with like, yes, we need to have humans involved in using AI and using and setting up these different processes and stuff. Should we be actively training all of our staff to be using AI tools, or should it be more about bringing in specialists to sort of govern these kinds of things and letting? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I think you hit on a topic which is sort of dear to my heart, it's training in general. I think number one, as CMOs, you should be training your team to have actual formal marketing training mm -hmm. and think about marketing. So number one, I think it's like all training is, is probably very good, but as marketing team, forget training them on AI to start with, train them on marketing. Are they good at that? Good. So let's assume that's done, right? What you then probably need to do is think about how do you bring in these tools to your team? And it's not necessarily because training on AI is a very generic term, right? So for example, if you're using a marketing automation platform, your marketing automation team should probably have training on the AI components of whatever that platform is or the add-ons that you can put to it or anything like that. So if you've got a specialist team, I think the question would be is how are they using AI, right? And, and, I'm, and funnily enough, I've done these, we have like um, huddles every couple of weeks where we go through, you know, um, what's happening in the marketing team. And one of the things we did was say, how are we all using generative AI? And you see little pockets of everybody using it for different things. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Also quite scary. <laughs> uh, and you see what we've tried to do is say, okay, well, let's get that together and see what's happening. I think you have to put some guide rails in for people so that they don't go wild and they don't start putting in company information and, you know, be wary of the results some of the generative AI stuff gives you. But I think you probably need to have some discussion. I don't know if it's training yet. I think each individual specialism probably needs training in the tools that they could use. Mm -hmm. But I think at a, a departmental level, you need guide rails. You need to talk about it. You need to bring these things up in your team meetings and say, how are we using it? Anybody got any you know, benefits? Anybody see any challenges, what they're doing? The other thing, of course, is that these, these things can be a distraction. So you have to be really careful that what you're using and what you're doing is not taking you down a path that isn't actually adding value to what you're trying to do for the business. So this is where I sort of think of real use cases, real business value for these things. Don't be distracted by it. It's great to play with Adobe Firefly or whatever it is to sort of conjure up weird ideas and things like that. But are you, you know, are you using it properly to do your day to day or are you just messing around with it? Because we don't want, like if you're, if you're in a fast growth business like we are, you don't want people messing around. You want really pointed ways of thinking about it. So I think, Training's training is interesting. I think you, it depends on the discipline you're in, um, what training you can get. I mean, if you're in coding and marketing, you know, if you're more of the ops side, you probably do want formal training in how you use it and things like that. But then as much as you'd have formal training in, you know, data management and, and data integrity and whatever it is that the ops team are being trained in, you know, whereas I think you can't probably train you probably have difficulty training the um, design team in new design tools unless, you know, they'd be, they'd be learning how to use them. So you probably don't, there's not one size fits all for AI training, I think is the point I'm trying to make. Definitely, definitely. But in marketing, in marketing. I think uh, once yeah, you learning and things like that, the product side, there is, you know, there is training and there should be, you know, all teams should be doing as much training to keep up to date with the stuff from a ML and, and all of that side of things, more technology side. I definitely like the idea of going with, like still emphasizing that marketing training comes first because then that see the possibilities you can do with these tools. It's giving you the knowledge and awareness. Like you're not just becoming 
a drone who's plugging in prompts or just like well that's the point plugging in data one of the things is you've got to try and make sure and i do this as much as i possibly can is try and reinforce that what we are trying to do as a marketing team is grow our business and make it as profitable as we can do do work with that, that our customers find value in and you know We've got the kind of way we look at it, it's got two, and this is normal stuff that people, the, the CMOs will know, but it's the kind of you capture the in-market demand that's there and you create a demand that's outside of market. So you've got a two-speed plan, you've got short-term performance marketing, you've got long-term brand planning. And I think that's not taught enough to many marketing teams, especially like younger digital marketers that come through the sort of, uh, we're just focused on performance marketing. And I'm always like, yep, I love that. And I'm great with your specialism, but always think about what's the bigger picture, what's marketing trying to do? What's the theory behind it? Read books, you know, read um, How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp, read Mark Ritson's um, stuff on Marketing Week. Um, you know, if you want to know about technology, talk, look, look at Scott Brinkler and Chief Martech and all of those kind of things. But but learn is the point. And then if you can formalize that in your business as a CMO and then help your teams grow, that's that's the way to do it. But always learn with marketing as the central theme. All of this has to go back to, well, how is it going to help us market better? Or ultimately, how is it going to help the business grow, I suppose, is the way I look at it. Definitely, definitely. Um, I do like the idea of um, like more formalized guidelines being introduced, um, particularly with all this talk about new regulatory stuff coming through regarding AI, but also just the ethical concerns, like the stuff about intellectual property rights and stuff, having some kind of guidelines means that hopefully you don't have to worry about that happening by accident because you've already headed that off, you've been proactive and thought about how can we make sure that doesn't happen in the future? Well, that's it. And that's where I think you know, as, as as marketing leaders, we need to sort of get that right and think about what are the guidelines and what's the appropriateness for our business. And also, it's actually, it's not just marketing leaders, it's business leaders as well, because it's so pervasive across every every business. Marketing is just one department where it's used, but it's in service, it's in sales, it's in product development, all sorts. And you just have to sort of say, well, what are the guidelines? And that's maybe where the education probably needs to be. You know how we do compliance training for any business. You all do it. We all have to do those, you know, uh, online courses. Um, but maybe there should be one addition to those regulatory and compliance things about, you know, how you're using AI and all of those things at a company level, you know, because I think it's important. And that probably is coming, to be fair. I think it's probably coming from a governmental perspective, yeah. but it's probably worthwhile taking those steps now as a business. So you're just ahead of the curve. Obviously, we don't know exactly what kind of regulations are yeah. going to come through in the future because I don't think the governments know much about yeah. AI yeah. at this stage. Short as anyone else, right? It's like it's like okay, this is here. What's going to happen? So yeah, and that's where I feel like it is that's the wild west bit, isn't it? Because it's not even got any regulation there or anything. So um, that's a yeah. We've touched a bit on the future. Jason, let's let's dive into a bit more. We've talked about how the human element's important right now. How long do we actually have? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, look, I think it's a, we've got a long time, right? You know, you've got, you've got to... It's, I, I hear some of the doomsday stuff that potentially these things could, you know, take our lunch or our jobs and all of this sort of stuff. And I'm a bit like, yeah, potentially. You know, I, I I mean, I'll show my age now. I remember when the year 2000 was coming and everything was going to, the planes were going to fall out of the sky because, you know, the Y2K or whatever it was back then. I mean, that is going back some, I know that. Um, but that was at the beginning of my kind of career. And that didn't happen. And I think these are sort of things, you know, 
it has the power to do lots of things. Um, I don't think it's a question of how long have we got. The more interesting question is how will we evolve to incorporate these things and what will our jobs look like? Um, that's really interesting to me. And I think one of the brilliant things about the human condition is we are very adaptable as a species to things. Um, and in this case, things that we've created ourselves. And I think you know, the way to do it, or the way to think about it is how it will enhance what we're doing and make our jobs either more interesting, easier, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I think, I don't think there's a doomsday scenario of, you know, let's get our coats, um, it's time to finish and just, you know, let the machines take over. Yeah, let's hope we're heading towards Star Trek and not Skynet at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. As a, as, as a Terminator and Star Trek fan, I can sort of <laughs> love that kind of analogy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to bring my nerd references to the board here. So, Jason, we've, we've covered a fair bit. Let's, let's try and tie things together with maybe some golden rules about how companies and business leaders should be thinking about sort of the human element of AI. Like, what, what do you think should be their top priorities right now? Um, I think the top priority is is trying to contain all the different things that could possibly be used. Because I think you know what what every business leader will get is being thrown at you all the time. Oh, you can use this AI, you can use that. Well, actually, what are the the big the big issue? I think is what are the things that will make a difference to our business and ignore the rest because there is so much out there and you see just the, you know, what is it every five minutes, something's being developed or there's a new AI for that. I think it's how do you kind of manage, you've got to be very focused on your business goals, right? Understand that and then look at your processes and go, are there any tools here that we can rely upon? So let's not just go and buy everything. Because the thing is, if you go and buy everything, you're going to be awash with tools that you have to connect and all of that. So you have to look at What's the aggregated view of what, what things can help us grow as a business or, or do things better than we're doing now? So if you think about digital transformation, how are we going to put this into our digital transformation programs? How is it going to help us sell more to our customers or you know, service our customers more, more efficiently, more um, concretely hit their needs when they need it? Um, but ultimately, you've just got to make sure that the things you're looking at don't distract you from the business goal because I think it has the potential to derail lots of things um, and and get sidetracked and and that's the key thing and I think that's where you've got to make sure your teams so thinking about the human element know let's work on the deliverables and think about these as helping tools to help us get to those deliverables not on in terms of let's go and play with every little bit of technology that you can you know come up with. So I think there's a healthy element of just, you know, introspect about the things that you're you're doing because they can take you down paths where you don't want to go. You've got to, you've got to really think about what is the business goals that we're trying to do and how can these tools help but deliver meaningful value to our business? What are the use cases and start there, I think, is, is some of the things. And that's very human driven, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you put all your business strategy into ChatGPT and tell me, <laughs> ask it what to do, you know, which I don't think is advisable given what we IP. Has, has anyone tried that yet? Has anyone oh, tried that as a use case? Yeah, we'll have to check that out. Um, um, but yeah, uh, Jason, uh, a really good note to end on there. Um, yeah, I think that's wise words, not just when it comes to approaching AI, but any kind of new processes, any new kind of technology. 
Um, so thank you very much for joining us today, Jason. Like people who have listened to the show, they probably heard me in earlier episodes being quite doom and gloom about yeah. AI, but it's, it's conversations with people like yourself and using the tools that have got me more on side with it, more optimistic about its potential and what it can do for the industry. Yeah, no, I think you've got to be optimistic and you've got to learn how to sort of adapt with these things. And, and otherwise, you know, they, I think the doomsday scenario is not going to happen, A, but I think you do need to be optimistic and use them for what they are, which is supposed to help. Supposed Definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's what we want. And I hope this conversation has been helpful to our audience as well. And thank you very much for joining us today, Jason. I've really enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. Speak to you soon. And thank you very much to our audience as well. We'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.